Well, I would invite you to take a Bible. There's one provided for you in the seat beneath or in front of you. And turn to Luke chapter 1. And in just a, a minute, I'm going to begin reading in verse 46. It's page 724 in the church Bibles. Page 724, Luke chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a Christmas blessing. May the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ be on your Christmas, be on your Christmas celebrations, and your Christmas prayers. May Christ's bounty and His peace and His pleasure rest on your home during this Christmas season and into the new year. And may Jesus Christ have mercy on our world, most especially the dark places for which the light of Christ needs to come. When we're through, if you have questions about what you've heard or about Jesus or the Bible, I'd be happy to speak with you. When our time is done, whatever you need, I'll be happy to try to do. Now what I'm going to read is what has been traditionally called the Magnificent. It's a Latin word meaning praise or the song of praise. So let's hear the word of the Lord together. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow together and pray. Our God and Father, what we know not, we ask that you would teach us. What we have not, we ask that you would give us. What we are not, we ask this evening that you would make us. And Father, would you please look upon all of us now with mercy. Everything that is needed depends completely on you. We are helpless, Father, without you. And so for Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen. Now, if you, if you check the historical record of the Christian church, you will find the following always to be the case. Spiritual revivals in the Christian church has always, have always been accompanied by an outburst of spiritual songs. This was true of the Reformation. It was true of the Great Awakening of the 18th century. It was true of the Great Welsh Revivals of the early 20th century. And it was true of the Jesus Movement in the latter part of the 20th century. Spiritual revivals in the Christian church have always been accompanied by an outburst of spiritual song. And here, without hesitation, Mary is singing. And the reason why Mary is singing is because she has just learned that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. She's the mother of the Son of God. And her reaction to this is to sing a song. Now, it's not unusual for people to sing. It is unusual for a virgin to be told she's pregnant, and it is very unusual for her to be told that by an angel. 
but it's not unusual for people to sing. And some of you here this evening may, may, may very much like to sing. Some of you might have learned it from your moms or dads, your stepmoms or stepdads, or perhaps your grandparents. But whatever the case may be, it's not unusual for people to sing. And so as we think about these things, sometimes we sing when we're happy. Sometimes we sing when we're sad. And if you're like me, you often sing when you're afraid, which means you sing a lot. It's true. And what people sing typically tells us something about them. Because why we sing is one thing, but what we sing is quite another. Because, again, to a degree, what people may choose to sing will often tell us something about them. That which, if you would, has gone into us will have worked its way out of us in some measure by what we sing. And so it will come to us as no real surprise that what we choose to sing will have been many times based on what we've learned in our younger days. Which makes what's happening here in the verses that we read absolutely terrific because what we discovered here is that Mary's song is basically taken from bits and pieces of the Old Testament, which means she grew up learning the Old Testament and now in her teenage years, her, her very early teenage years, as she gives a song to what she is thinking and what is happening to her, she sings this song, this Called, it's called a canticle, which is the word for little song. She sings this little song from her heart to her God, which is filled with the word of God, which in some measure gives testimony to the marvelous job her parents did raising Mary up. Isn't that true? Because she is filled with the word of God. So out of the abundance of Mary's heart, she begins to sing. I think this is a helpful reminder. It was to me this week. For those of us with children, those of us with grandchildren, of the importance of teaching our children well. Because it's very hard to imagine our children and our grandchildren bursting out with song that is filled with the Scripture when they come to their teenage years if they were not trained in them in their teeny tiny years. Nevertheless, in this little song, there, there are three unchanging truths that I would like us to take note of, note of on a night like this. And the first truth is this. God shows mercy to those who fear Him. That's verse 50. Can you see it there if your Bible is open? God shows mercy to those who fear Him. Mary said, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. And out of this comes at least two questions. One, what is God's mercy? And two, what does it mean to fear God? Okay, so let's try to answer them. First of all, what is God's mercy? Well, Mary's singing in a context. Mary wasn't a princess, was she? She didn't live in a palace. She was an ordinary girl, and frankly, she was very young, and she was very poor. Mary's name meant bitter myrrh. Why she was given that name, we do not know, but this is what we do know. Myrrh was one of the gifts given to the Christ child from the Magi, pointing to his death. Because myrrh was a spice used in the ancient world to embalm the dead. And we also know at that time the Jewish custom was to name your child from the circumstances of their birth. So Mary's name meant bitter myrrh. Mary, unpleasant, death, or pain. Mary wasn't a royal. Mary wasn't a princess. She didn't live in a palace. She was an ordinary girl, and frankly, she was very poor. But God didn't choose Mary because she deserved to be chosen. 
point of fact, the angel said to Mary, Luke chapter 1, verse 28, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Luther, Martin Luther translates this, oh Mary, you are blessed, you have a gracious God. Mary's own words acknowledge that God took pity on her. Verse 48, for he, God, has been mindful of the low estate of his servant. And loved ones, this gives us an illustration of how God deals with men, and he deals with women, and he deals with young people in salvation, and he takes pity on us. Dead Mary, unpleasant death or pain Mary was made alive. Yes, this song was personal. The song is for God, from Mary. Yes, this song is practical. Mary gets it. Verse 48b, every generation from here on out is going to call me blessed. She, she gets it. But it's also a theological picture of all who come to God as Savior, needing His mercy. Now, I thank God that my children are past the days of having to put their little Christmas toys together because the great fear for me was to to open those instructions, and I'm sure most of you understand this, and they might as well have been a book of advanced engineering, right? And you try to put those toys together, you feel like you might as well be dead. And what you need, you need someone to look down on you and to take pity on you and say to you, can I come down there where you are and help you? And this is exactly what God has done in Christ. He has come down to do what we could never do for ourselves. He looks down on us in mercy because, like Mary, we have a gracious God. We sing this song here a lot. And I'm glad as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state. And led me to the cross. That's God's mercy. He looks down and he sees us in our spiritual poverty. And then he comes down to offer us his mercy. Okay, what about fear? What does it mean to fear God? Well, to fear God is to believe his promises and obey his commands. Therefore, there's no reason why any one of us here this evening should be afraid of the idea of fearing God. And Mary understands this. Fearing God is a good first step to enable everyone to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. She's in awe of her God. Something has happened to her in a unique and unrepeatable way. She she has been blessed by God. God has shown her mercy. And this provides us another picture of what happens to a person when they fear God. Because one of the things they do is they become to understand that God actually extends his mercy to those who disobey his commands and to those who who disobey his law and those who don't trust his promises and those who do not say yes to the right thing and who do not say no to the wrong things. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel And tell me if that is not worth singing about. That God showed his love towards us, Romans 5, 8. And and yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Well, on account of his mercy. Given to those who cry out for his mercy because they fear the implications of sin left unchecked before a holy God. Therefore, the Christian does not cry out for justice. 
They do not cry out, this isn't right, God, can you fix it? They do not cry out, they did this to me, can you fix them, God? But they do cry out for mercy. Which leaves us at least with two questions on this first point. Question number one, do you fear God? Question number two, can you sing about his mercy? That's our first point. God shows mercy to those who fear him. Our second point, God exalts the humble. Mary said it herself, verse 48b, God has looked at the low or the humble estate of his servant. Mary used a particular word there. It's the Greek word doulos. It means a lower level galley slave. It's, it's a bond servant. It's the harshest word that could be given for servant or slave. Verses 51 and 52, Mary says, God has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their th- thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Now, Mary's lyrics here are not just describing her low social state. She's just not describing the fact that God has a preference for the lowly. In fact, if you know the whole Christmas story, you can't help but to understand that God has a particular interest and preference for the lowly. But she's also describing her understanding of who she is and who she's not. In other words, her deep spiritual lowliness and meekness, and she's singing about this. So as you think about this, it means at least this, that that Mary wasn't stuck on herself, was she? She wasn't a smarty pants. She wasn't, and pay attention to this, young people, she wasn't aggressively trying to stake her claim in the world. She was just doing what she was told. Therefore, God did not look down from heaven to choose from those who are are most at themselves, to choose the most exceptional, the most self-confident, the champions, Every parent of of young children should take note of this. You know, we tend to kind of stick our kids in everything so they can come out some way being or looking terrific. But we we ought to be careful because Mary comes out of obscurity. Mary comes out of poverty. She probably had dirty fingernails and she comes out of a social level that may not get the eye of man. But, and here's the key, It does get the eye of God. And which one matters most? I want you to think with me. This is the Bible, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are so that no one may boast before Him. Sing before Him? Yes. Boast before Him? No. Now, when you think about this, it makes sense. If you know your Old Testament, there was a king that was needed. So God sent his servant Samuel to the house of Jesse. Jesse brought out seven sons and he set them before Samuel. And God just quickly passed by all the seven sons. Despite all they had going for them, they were tall in stature and they were big in might. And God chose instead Jesse's youngest son, a shepherd boy, David, who wasn't even thought well enough to bring to the lineup. He was, if you would, in the backyard doing his work. But God said, Acts 13, 22. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. 
Why did God choose him? Because God exalts the humble. The humble are not constantly questioning God, but simply obeying God. And as you think about this, this and on Christmas Eve, in the incarnation, we find the exact same thing in Jesus. Again, I'm going to read to you from the Bible, Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, down, 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 Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, that's biblical history. What about world history? And men and women in their thirst for power and their thirst for status who, who are proud in their inmost thoughts, verse 51 and 52. Their secret thoughts might fool most of us, but they will not fool God. The proud will be. The proud have been. They will always be brought down. They might have a day. They might have a decade. They might even have a dynasty. But there is a day when it will all end. So that when you think through the span of time, God continues to bring down those who are proud in the secret thoughts of their heart. And he continues to exalt those who are humble. Those like John Newton, amazing grace John Newton, who on his deathbed said, my memory is almost gone, but I remember two things. One, I am a great sinner. And two, Christ is a great Savior. Which is why Jesus said to those listening to him, unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, why? Because you can't get to God as a big shot. You can't get to God proud and defiant and finger pointing or saying, as the Pharisees said, God, I thank God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, or whatever, you know, the evangelical flavor of the month is for what's evil. You can't go in that way. You can't go in childish. You can't go in unprepared to confess what we really are, but you can get in childlike. Pride will keep us from the kingdom of God, and pride will keep us from being useful in serving God in his kingdom. Someone once said that we build throne for our, we, when we build thrones for ourselves and put ourselves on them, God will bring us down. That's the second point. God exalts the humble which calls for two more questions. First one, are you a smarty pants? And second, are you humble? Because quite frankly, in the economy of God, those who say, who is this God that I should consider? And those who say, who am I that God should consider me? And Mary's song tells us which kind of song God will listen to. Thomas Manton This is certainly pride. It is lifting up the heart above God, against God, without God. Jesus Christ, how humble you are. Will you you leave heaven and go to earth? Yes. Will you go though you will have no place to lay your head? Yes. Even as an adult, Jesus? Yes. Will you come though you'll be known as an outcast, a stranger, a man familiar with suffering, a man considered cursed, stricken by God. Will you still come? Yes. Jesus, everyone's going to desert you at the point of your greatest need. Will you still come? Yes. Jesus, listen. 
The full penalty of sin, the wrath of God on sin. You'll have to bear it in your body. You will feel it in your mind. You will feel it in your body, all for the guilty. Jesus, will you still come? Yes. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Why will God do this? Well, Mary's saying this. Because God has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but he has exalted the humble. Number one, God shows mercy to those who fear him. Two, God exalts the humble. And then finally, our final point, God fills the hungry. Verse 53. Now, we probably understand by now that Mary is not speaking here about physical food. Although God does provide for us every day the food that, he, that we need, doesn't he? And we would always do well to remember that, especially in a week like this. However, here we need to realize that Mary's not talking about physical hunger. Rather, she's talking about spiritual hunger. And here, Mary is much like this man, Simeon, of Luke chapter 2. This is what it says about him. He was a righteous and devout man who was, verse 25, waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he was waiting for God to set things right. So that little phrase, waiting for the consolation of Israel, helps us understand why God satisfies the hungry with good things. Because we find in Mary and we find in Simeon those eager, those hungry for God to fulfill all his promises, to set things right. So essentially we have two very spiritually hungry people, hungry for good things. And so this is the aha moment that helps us understand the third point that God fills the hungry. So so Mary is singing this song and part of what she's doing as she's singing is she's understanding that this hunger is a hunger God creates and it's a hunger God satisfies. In other words, God shows us we are in the wrong, creating that hunger and then puts us in the right, satisfying that hunger. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel way. God, show me myself, poor Wretched, blind, hungry. God, show me my Savior and fill me with the good things. And so Mary knows her Old Testament and she was hungry for what the Old Testament predicted. The Old Testament always said that there was going to be a prophet that will out-prophet all the other prophets and will have a, have a word from God that is decisive and final. And there was a priest who would offer a final sacrifice so that no more sacrifice for sin is needed. And there would be a king who would reign on the throne of David forever and ever. And and the principle is very plain and it's very simple. When a person is self-satisfied, when a person has absolutely no awareness of need or, or has all their hope in themselves and they find themselves rich, God says, you will go away empty. You will go away empty. Now, I, I was so hungry on Tuesday evening last week that I was moaning when I was eating. The meal was fantastic, but I was at the dinner table going, oh, this is so good. Now, my wife looked at me and said, you know, well, you put a sock in it. But the point was, I was very hungry. In the same way in spiritual terms, until a person is mindful of their spiritual bankruptcy, then the good news that, that he who is rich has for our sake became poor so that you and I through his poverty might become rich is a complete irrelevance. In other words, it won't matter. 
But it will matter when you come to realize that we have nothing in our account, nothing in our account that we can draw from to get us to God. And unless we have someone to deposit in our account unbelievable amounts in our favor, then our situation is absolutely hopeless. Now, loved ones, that is the gospel. God fills the hungry, the needy with good things. So we're not hopeless. But, but the danger in these things, I think, is this. If you go to God thinking yourself full, I mean, that's like going to the banquet table of God and saying, you know what, I'm just going to have a little bit of this, and I'm just going to have a little bit of that. Not too much, because I'm full. Loved ones, the key to enjoying the blessing of Mary is being like Mary in her reverence and her humility and her hunger. And at this point in human history, as you look around and consider the whole world, as you look around and consider your own context, do you see hungry people for God? You see, no one will ever be able to sing Mary's song until we see our need and we have come to Mary's Savior. So my final two questions, I bet you can guess. One, can we sing Mary's song? And two, on this Christmas Eve, 2013, have we come to Mary's Savior? It's the biggest question of the night. Have you and I come to Mary's Savior? I sure thank you for your attention. Let's bow together as we pray. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, how he left his home in glory for the cross of Calvary. Gracious God, we thank you for the gospel. It is profound, yet it is so simple that even a child might know that you who were rich for our sake became poor so that through your poverty we might become rich. So, Father, you put yourself into our place. You took on our flesh. You bore our sin. You died our death. You paid our debt so that no further sacrifice for sin is necessary. And I pray that everyone in this room and everyone within the sound of my voice will believe this tonight or some night soon. Now, Father, we thank you for the privilege of celebrating Christmas, and we ask once again that you may be pleased to wonderfully bless all our Christmas gatherings. We need everything and help us to offer you everything back. Going out to the pleasures and duties of our life this evening, being made new, having been born again in mercy, given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.